Welcome to the Art Worlds Podcast. My name is Nduta Wangari. This is where we live, learn, and laugh a little bit more. In this podcast, this is where we familiarize young upcoming artists about the art industry through professional artists in the game. This podcast was done by students in the Technical University of Kenya. I would love to welcome one of the students from the Technical University of Kenya who went for an interview. Welcome, Jim Smully. Thank you. Mm, I interviewed Suhuya Chambi. She's lo- a studio. It's located in Rongai. Mm, nice. I'm loving also this podcast. It's another lady. When you are interviewing Suhuya, what did you carry away from her? Mm, number one, Suhuya, in her heart, that was something she grew up with. In fact, she told me she had no other idea or another career. It was one, one, one art. So, it was, she was born of that. One thing she said was, you love your work, you love what you do, and you do it just from your heart. Yeah. What kind of artist is she? Mm, she's a visual artist and a performance artist. Okay, thank you for joining us, James. Thank you. Okay, our fellow listeners will go directly into the interview. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm James, a third year student from the Technical University of Kenya. Ready to, to have an interview with you about your art work. Sure. Uh, thanks for the uh, invite to speak with you. I really appreciate it. Um, my name is Sylvia Kiambi. Uh, I've been an artist, oh gosh, since I've been practicing professionally since 2003. And I've been working uh, as an independent artist since 2014. Mm, I've always been interested in the arts. I do a lot of work with installations and performance. Um, and I have a research-based practice. Uh, and I work a lot with themes around memory, identity, uh, history. Yeah. And I use a lot of different materials. Yeah. yeah. Another question I want to know is that, have you ever been interviewed before? Yes. <laughs> I've been interviewed many times before. And are we the first student to interview or whether you have been interviewed before by other students? I've been interviewed by other students, but uh, a lot of them from overseas and other universities overseas, mostly in Europe. Yeah. And then I've been interviewed by like, high school students who are doing research on art and artists, but they're mostly um, high school students from here who are in like private high schools doing IGCSE system about on that note mm-hmm. that that person that role model mm-hmm. how, oh my role yeah, models yeah how he or she inf- influenced you yeah in that so like Teresa Masoka and Foyt I had talked about yeah um I think for the, the two of them was more the inspiration of that an artist exists and is happy and can do what they're doing and then in my later years, like early, early university time, Anna Mendieta was working a lot with the body and with uh, her own identity. Um, and the other person who I found um, interesting and influential was Barbara Chase Rabot. So she was doing poetry and also writing um, novels, but she was also a sculptor. Uh, 
I guess it was inspiring to see her sculptural scale is very large and she played a lot uh, with kind of weight in her work. So you'd have the illusion of strings holding up bronze. So I was interested in, in how she pulled that off and her, she was working around history and memory, but it was also figurative and abstract. And she was also heavily influenced by Egypt. Um, and was like an African-American woman living in Paris and working in Paris. Uh, I think also the fact that she was an African-American woman sculptor who was making a mark in the scene I also found of interest. Mm, who else did I find interesting back then? Uh, Louis Bourgeois is a very big uh, influencer for me as well. Um, she works again, they all kind of work with their own historical lineages and identity and memory. And then much more recently, I find, uh, John O'Comfer super interesting. He works with film, uh, Doug Atkins as well. And, um, what's the name? Very recently is, uh, Naeem Mohamin, who's also a filmmaker, also working with memory and history in the archive. Yeah. Uh, what can you say about these young people or young people who are coming up now in the artists? Mm -hmm. How can you, how can they compete in there with the established people, like well-known people? Mm -hmm. No, as one comes up in the industry, yeah. it's not aware the other people are known. How yeah. can you say about that people, such you, people? You mean for here or in the world? For here? Yeah. Um, oh, such a difficult question. <laughs> Um, it's a good question because you see the, the, the scene is very layered. So when I first came back in 2003, I think there was, there was only Corona Trust's art center, which was based at the museum at the time. Um, there was one gallery and there was the national museums or two galleries, one could say. Um, there were no like artist collectives. Um, and now, so looking back in the last five years, there's a lot of shift in terms of more galleries existing, uh, established artists opening up spaces for other artists. Um, but the scene is still very geared towards commercial aspect. So one of the difficulties we have is also obviously our education system didn't or doesn't find art as a markable subject in high school. So you have this big gap of, uh, or this people are not encouraged to take the subject and then you have them coming into uni and they're all of a sudden quite behind. So when I was teaching, um, art and design uh, for high schoolers in a private school and I went to assess some work uh, where were they? Graphic design school along the industrial area I forget their name um, those they were second year or third year students who were behind my 16 year olds in their in their technicality and also in their thinking so there's these huge gaps and then obviously we don't have a lot of public funds for the arts and we don't fund or support process or things that may fail, like, or things that have nothing to do with selling a work. So the museum systems sh should be, uh, 
showing works and collecting works, in my opinion, of artists that are relevant for the next 100 to 200 years. So things that are relevant to society, discussions that are relevant to society. But our system is focusing a lot on selling and also selling things that can fit inside of somebody's living room. And then we have the history of... the art market built by an external idea of what African art should be. So expatriates buying art again for aesthetics more than content. Um, and also they're coming with their idea of what African art should be. So there's a lot of, uh, how do you say, uh, it's a difficult terrain to move in. And I think, uh, for me personally, an artist is not making art in order to sell, in order to live only. That's not really, it's not about making money in that way. I think you can do a whole bunch of other careers that will give you more money. I think you're an artist because you, if you don't do it, you, you're not well, right? Um, so I think for younger artists, what's problematic is that the if you're in a university system, you're not getting exposed to the scene because the universities are detached from what's happening in the scene. Uh, a friend of mine, Peterson Kamwadi was in uh, KU, I think for some time and it shifted that dynamic because he brought students in, but he struggled as a student. Um, I think also in the early 2000s, like 2006, seven, a lot of us uh, were trying to become teachers in art schools here but we were often um, uh, like the doors were never open because also the professors in the uni were not interested in, they felt threatened perhaps by losing their jobs or they didn't want to change the way they work or make more of an effort of knowing what's actually out there. Um, so that was also like slow and flawed, right? Yeah. Uh, even like Sam doing what he's doing with you guys is new. This is not like it should have been there from the beginning, but it's not right. Yeah. And so a lot of students don't know about spaces. And I know what happens is a lot of students end up like linking up with one artist and there's a mentorship, informal mentorship that happens. So, uh, Patrick Mukabe, for example, he's very well known to, he's done that since eons ago when i first came back to kenya in 2003 he was already doing that with uh young people like kids to like high school guys to uni guys um and slowly a lot of artists do that informally but there's no formal structure my advice for young artists i think what surprises me is that they don't use the resources that are available like you've got, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's a millennial thing. Sijui, because guys are, are also, where, well, there's two things happening. One, I think it's probably a, a millennial pandemic of just, um, I don't know, social mediaing and like you, you have this resource of the internet, right? You have this resource to access all sorts of people. And it's not followed through. I don't know why. Uh, you have the resource of learning how to do stuff without going to school. Uh, like you don't need to go to school anymore to understand how to do something. Uh, you can actually learn quite a bit off the, off that without going to school. There's a lot of self-taught artists 
who are really good artists. Um, and then the other uh, kind of crisis we have and that we face as a community is the NGO format and donor format that exists everywhere in the country, but also specifically I'm talking about the art industry. So there's an idea that there's not enough, A, there's an idea that there's not enough to go around for everybody. I think that's a false idea. Um, you've got unhealthy competition because there's like maybe one or two funders and everybody's applying to the same funders so they don't collaborate or communicate well with each other because of this idea that there's not enough. Um, and B, it kind of gives this, uh, how do you say, like a... I experienced a lot of this idea of handouts, like you should do this for me just because I exist in this space rather than, and that's enough, you know, and I don't need to do much to do that. Um, when I was living in Chicago, all of the people I was surrounded by, we all had two or three jobs and people were still in the studio, still making work. And what you have in the industry here is you have like funders subsidizing studio spaces and artists practicing full time, which is kind of a luxury. But then there's also somehow a laziness that came with that. Um, yeah, or comfortability. I have another example. Like we had a curator from the Tate come. I can't remember when. I think what I want to say 2010. Um, and I had two friends who are artists visiting from Germany, uh, really interesting guys, Ingrid Wangli, Robert Hutter. And, uh, they said, uh, like there was an open email to everybody. If you want to meet this person, come to Kuona and meet them. So you have access to a really high level director curator of a high institution that most that for like Ingrid and Robert, they were like, we would never meet this person in Germany. We'd never have access to this person. Um, for us to have an interview or a meeting or even shake their hand in a public place, it would be Im like impossible. So we also have a lot of opportunities at your doorstep that a lot of people don't either, they don't realize or they don't clock on or they do and they go for it and run for it. But a lot of the time it's, um, I think people are not aware of what opportunities are there or there's also the lack of the drive to make it make it the opportunity so don't complain so much would be my advice and find ways of maneuvering around there's always solution finding uh, that's something I really appreciate as well about our society in general on a general level even with uh, what happened with the pandemic and COVID I think when it first happened it, back in March, April last year, Emma. Um, like people, I found my feeling was that we were able to maneuver and respond much more fluidly to a, to a problem. People are like, ah, this is a problem. Let's find a way of maneuvering around it. Whereas I feel like in the West, it's like, it's a problem. They're not used to shifting quickly and finding a solution. Uh, I think that's an asset that we have that young artists should like remember and utilize for themselves. Yeah. Mm. Is there any time you found yourself like I'm quitting the industry, I'm bored, 
And if yes, yeah. what, what was the experience? Okay, boredom never. I'm never bored. As, and I'm also never stuck for ideas, which yeah. is like a blessing. Yeah. I feel blessed by that because I know a lot of artists struggle with like a block or boredom or, you know, they're, yeah, that I, I don't have that. Uh, I often have the thing of, ah, I'm tired. And uh, hey, why am I doing this? And it's too much. I think for me, uh, that happens because the type of work I do is uh, socially engaged work. Um, it's also very difficult work. I deal with a lot of um, traumatic histories. So most recently, I worked on uh, Nyayo House and the torture chamber. Uh, I have worked on the Namibian genocide. Uh, I work a lot with the, the colonial history here. Um, oh, so also, uh, because it's research based, I listen to a lot of, uh, how do you say, ah, like people's, um, first hand responses, right? So even for the moist, the, the Nyayo house moist time, I listen to a lot of, um, survivors accounts of torture. Uh, so that material is super heavy and hard to, to work with and also how to navigate respecting it. Uh, and not abusing somebody's pain, uh, also not abusing my own pain, um, and also how to then, in my practice, I try to find a way of explaining the story that might not be told, but also finding a point of reparation or repair. Yeah. Is yeah. there another time, or is there any time you found yourself saying, I am okay, I've made it in art, I'm okay now, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's also happened. Um, it's funny, it happens in, in, in different moments, right? So sometimes when you have... Uh, like for me, uh, it can happen in two ways. One, when you have really constructive feedback from somebody you admire and they're spending the time on you and you know that their schedule is so crazy they would they don't actually have the time to spend on you but you can see because they're spending the time you know they value whatever it is you're doing so sometimes i've had that with the very big artists who are selling like in 25000 pounds plus range those guys when they spend when they say like let's talk for like 3 hours then i'm like okay yeah th there's like a validation of like them spending their time because they're very busy. They don't have time and they don't waste their time on people. They don't think like highly of. And then the other instance that's happened for me is a different scenario, not this personal one-on-one -on -one, somebody giving their time to you, but more, uh, I was in a group show that was touring and, uh, I was touring with artists that really liked their work. Um, it was Tracy Rose, um, Valerie Oka, uh, Masi Kuri, um, what's your name? Zuleka, uh, and me. And that was really also, it was uh, curated by Koyoko. Uh, it was in Wiels in Lund in, um, Frack. And just showing with them was like amazing. And also being in a moment where you can tour and it was the same work. So I could install and do the work in different spaces. So really see how the work changes in the location and learn much better for myself how to 
know the boundary of when I need to say, okay, this has to stay like this, or actually we can expand and change according to the space. It was a really good experience. Yeah. Are there some challenges in your, in your art work? Have you seen some challenges? And if yes, mm-hmm. how have you overcome them? How have you handled them? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are always challenges. I think... Uh, one uh, challenge has to come the plus and minus I firmly believe in that if there's a minus there's a plus if there's a plus there has to be a minus the two are correlated I think the key is also how you respond to the challenge right if you respond and you're like ah this is just too much I give up it's like I would challenge you to kind of try and respond to challenges as a blessing. Have I faced, uh, uh, I would call them good challenges? Yeah, all the, all the time. There's always a balance between, um, what you want to work on, uh, what the budget looks like, uh, what the people you're working with, where they're at mentally, where they're at financially. There's always uh, dynamics and challenges that you have to face and work around. Yeah. That's on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. I, thi- I think, sorry, I think without it, yeah. it's boring. Yeah. Yeah. When some some customers, let's see people, uh-huh. when they talk negative about your work, yeah. sometimes people may say, it's not fine, it's not yeah. clear, yeah. according to the standards they want. Yeah. But yeah. you as an artist, yeah. you think you have made it, you have done yeah. your best. Yeah. How do you do to such critics? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think the the worst is if somebody uh, the very worst for me is no comment <laughs> that says more than a negative comment yeah and then the other one that's not good is it's interesting it's terrible that's also oh, no good or it's nice catastrophic um, I think um Negative comments can be very useful because it means you've triggered a response. I think no response means you failed. Like if you're getting a good response or a negative response, something is happening. A reaction is being created. But nothing, it means I think the work's failed when there's nothing. Um, There's always people who are going to react negatively. And there's always people who will benefit and go with it. I think you can't get too bogged down. I think you have to listen if you get the same comment over and over and over and over and over. If you get the same comment over and over and over, there's something you're supposed to heed and take in and see whether you adjust or you, or you say you keep it, but you've actually taken it, taken it in. And the worst is no comment. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Then despite all these critics, people saying negative things about your work. Mm. You are still doing the same work. What pushes you to continue doing the same work? Uh, well, the amount... Uh, well, first, I think it's... Um, the quick answer and the easy answer is there's a hell of a lot of people who respond positively and deeply to the work. Often, you don't have to... My, when I do performances, you don't stand in front of it. You like you can come and go how you like. Um, and a lot of people stay the whole time. No, and they don't know when it's ending. Um, a lot of people are very emotional when they experience my work and they often come and, and want to give back from what I gave. 
So that's like one response that I value and uh, gives me also strength to continue. Um, two, I'm always uh, approached to keep on working on, on topics that I'm working on. So there, I know that there's an interest in that. Um, I think that they are, there are interested. I think it's important to share, uh, I guess to continue bringing to light stories that may not be, um, to- told or, or represented in our histories. That's uh, across the globe, right? There's always people who are marginalized or histories that are marginalized and even the way we tell the history we kind of omit and include different things. But you compare art in those times uh, early 90s mm-hmm. early 2000s mm-hmm. and today can you say art has changed? Here? Yeah, and if yes. Yeah. How? Okay. It's cha- I think it's changed a lot. I think there are way more artists who are working on like deep topics for them than what I saw when I first came back. I think there are more artists having opportunities to do residencies. Um, I think there are more artists having opportunities to even sell their work and therefore finance their lives. Uh, I think there are artists who are getting together more, making collectives. You've got Brush 2 Collective, you've got Masambidi. Masambidi has been there for a while, Banana Hill have been there for a while. Uh, Cyrus has just opened a studio that's public. Uh, I've opened Untethered Magic over here. So people are networking and sharing in another way. Young artists are not, are very keen to find info. They always come, they visit, they talk. Uh, they're kind of hungry, which when I was younger, my generation wasn't that hungry. Or maybe they were more intimidated. They, they, they were more in the thinking that there's not enough to go around. Um, I think that people are also a little more, how do you say, uh, I want to say autonomous. I don't know. It's a battle, but I do feel like people are getting more, more because of the different options available, there's more room to move than before. Um, what else can I tell you? I think there's a small group of collectors coming up slowly in the scene. So there's a longevity. Uh, that's a, one of the biggest problems, even in South Africa. So South Africa really focused on building a local buying uh, market. Um, this is also goes into commercial art, which... I don't think you should have commercial art without um, the other side of art making for society. They should be balanced, like the plus and the minus. Um, but the the you know Circle Art Gallery started as a desire to build a local buying market, um, which is like our tourism industry. We can't only be dependent on tourists. Imagine if shit goes south, then there's no no tourists are coming and everybody's hungry, right? Whereas if you have your local tourism, you you won't go hungry when things are not working out. I think it's a sim- similar philosophy. Um, and then uh, again with the internet, I think you have access to uh, international applications that you didn't have before. 
before you'd have to have somebody call and say, okay, like this and send a post in the box. And you'd have to know somebody to know about something. Now with the internet, you have open free advertising. You can try and, and apply that way. Of course, there is often things that are, you have to, I guess this is another one. I would go back to advice for a younger artist is no, this is my level. If I, I, if I find something to apply to, let me find something that's within my level. So I have a chance. If I, if I keep applying to something that's not in my level and I'll keep getting no's and I get depressed and I, and I stop bothering to try and do it. Right. So also you have to match up the, the, where you're at and what's being offered and does it work for you? But all of those are new opportunities that didn't exist so much uh, uh, earlier. And uh, in the early 2000s, I would say the international market wasn't so open to practices on the continent, right? Yeah. It, that's like a new phase. And it comes, it's a plus and minus again. There's like the guys who are just coming because they want to pee on the African continent and say, oh, I did this and I discovered this artist from the continent. It's like, okay, great. Yeah, well done. Good for you. Bravo. <laughs> or there's the guys who are really interested in it and, and want to, but it's still an outsider coming in. I think what's important for us to develop on a Pan-African, it's A, to develop our Pan-African scale more in our community within the continent. Um, it's stupid that a flight to Dakar is more expensive than a flight to Germany for me. It's harder for me to fly to Dakar than to Germany. Um, sorry. And, um, um, like there, there are things we have to, we have to find more ways to support ourselves, that autonomy. And part of circle, going back to circle, generating local buyers, it's an important move. Again, I would say not only commercial. We have to support the process and also works that may be difficult to deal with, but speak to, tell the younger generations what happened in the past so they know. Yeah. 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 Since you have been in the industry for a long time, uh-huh. what can you say? What What about the trades in the art world or the art industry? The trades. Trades. What do you mean by trades? Mm, the I've got the new things uh, on a daily basis. Okay. Uh, I think I spoke about them a bit. Like this, collectives is kind of up and coming. I started, well, okay, so, uh, Michael Musioka from Brush 2, Cyro Kabiru, uh, Deno Muraguri, Dennis Muraguri, Sebawali, and Andrew, I don't know his last name, he's actually a lawyer. Um, they started AVAC, which is the artists, uh, oh god, Association of Visual Artists and Collectives. And uh, we are now creating a membership program. Um, I'm the chair. Uh, Deno is the treasurer and Musioka is the secretary. And um, this is a new forum for us to build an official body uh, where we can be then having a position to lobby with government. Um and also particularly get involved with the Ministry of Culture and be able to fight for our rights to be represented as contemporary conceptual artists because the government is often focusing more on uh, the traditional art forms or they have an inadequate budget for the arts. 
because also they have a problem because artists are not registering, so they don't have the numbers, right, to fight for those figures. Um, it's also a way to, we are really, really trying to aim in the future to have uh, health insurance for members. It's a big problem that a lot of artists don't have that kind of support when when um, stuff is not working because we're just, we're marginalized in terms of society. Um, society is still quite capitalistic and corporate. We're not very socialist as a country. Um, and uh, artists' labor is really uh, often insulted and dismissed, right? You have a lot of people asking for free work, Or a lot of people thinking, ah, making a video is like easy. Why should I pay X amount? Or even people who have like weddings and choose the cheapest photographer and then get upset that their wedding photos are bad. Even though they were told, you don't, please spend the money on the right photographer and have your memories collected nicely. So there's a, socially, we're still not accepting artists as professionals generally a lot. Uh, There's not so much support. Also, parents, you can't blame them because they, because they haven't been exposed and they don't know that there are structures to support their children to be strong artists. But if you don't know about it, you can't say, oh, yeah, become an artist and I'll show you where Kuwana Trust is because they don't know, right? If even, even teachers in art schools are not knowing because there's a disconnect. Um, Your question, let me go back to your question. Your question was? Trends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the trend is that the artists are building spaces. That's a new trend that I've seen recently. And um, what's another trend? I think there's also a trend in terms of uh, younger people taking on the role of curating a little bit and also collecting. There's some young guys who are really getting involved because, you know, artist, and as an artist, you have to do all those things, but you're not an expert in all those things, right? And in, in a, in a healthy system, you have a, a dealer, a curator, a, a scout, a PR guy, an admin guy, a person who knows how to write text, um, a person who knows the value of how to value work at the right point in the right time in the market to see that it it can the artist can grow and not reach a ceiling there's all sorts of systems right a critique a good critic a constructive critic uh a good good writers for pub, public publications so there's all of these things right and so i think uh what's coming up in the market is a niche of collectors and and young curators slowly yeah And that's also been building because people are spending uh, time and money to try and build up workshops or opportunities for people to get exposed to doing that work. Yeah. Yeah. As we know, creating your work, that is number one. That's a step. Creating your work. Yeah. Then marketing the, the work or looking for the market. Yeah. How, do, how have you found that? <laughs> yeah. So for me... Uh, It's very different. I can't explain. How do I explain this well? So, because I, I okay, so what I, I was very strategic. When I was younger, I was make, I did, I wanted to make the work that I wanted to make. Uh, and, and the resistance I was facing from my local scene was that it's too uh, far out there. 
but it wasn't really. Now it's normal, but back then it it was like, oh, what is this? I don't understand it like that. And oh, also, there was always you're going to a gallery and they want to know, can I sell this glass? And if the glass is pink, they're like, oh, I can't sell it. Make the glass blue so that I can sell it. I wanted to avoid that negotiation because I wanted my own autonomy. So what I did is I uh, taught part-time in high schools, different high schools. So I was teaching from 2005 to 2014 at three different institutions. I also built a lot of art departments in schools that never had art departments. And sometimes I'd be full-time, sometimes I'd be part-time, and sometimes, I don't know how I did it, because it was crazy. When I did the the permanent piece at the National Museum, I was working a seven-to-five job. I would go to the museum, I would get a taxi to bring my son to the museum. I'd work in the, in the museum until like two in the morning, and then I would uh, drop the guys I'm working with, go home, sleep for two hours, wake up, go to work. That's how I, I did that for like, that was crisis because it was installed time, like a week or two weeks. And then, um, so I always worked double shifts. But the, the benefit for me was getting to make the work I wanted to make because I was funding my own stuff. I could decide, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm moving like this. The other blessing that I've had in my life is also having my son born. For me, I had my son when I was 27 and it made me skip the bullshit. <laughs> uh, once you have a kid, you have no time for stupid people around you. You really don't. You're like, if it, like you get much more to the point yeah. and much more aggressive because it's not just you anymore, right? You're also taking care of somebody else. So somebody's not paying you, you, you don't be like, oh, let me be quiet and wait. You're like, hey, where? Where's my money, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're much more yeah. aggressive. Yeah. Um, so that was a blessing. And it also made me focus. Like, do I want to spend my time here? Because when I'm spending my time here, it means I'm not spending my time with him. So is it worth this? Am I doing something that's important enough to, to spend that time in that way? Or is this project not, not worth it? Is, it? is it just a project because it's a project because it exists? So I also became much more choosy at what I'm interested in. And people would approach me to work on projects, topics, ideas, but I'd also choose, am I interested in that topic idea? And then over time, it took me some time to learn this, but I learned the skill of saying, this was a great thing I've learned. This is what I'm working on. Somebody comes with their idea and their topic and they say, oh, please work with me on this. I have, I don't know, 3,000 euros. <laughs> Very Tamil. You want to do it, right? Because it's 3,000 euros. You do. Yeah. So then, then I, what I learned to do is to say, does this fit with what I'm already involved in and what I'm already working on? And is it interesting in terms of what I'm already doing? If it's yes, I can say yes. If it's not, I had to learn the hard way to say No. Because it's taken away from the things I'm really interested in doing. And once I started doing that, slowly, after like maybe six, seven months, only projects that are actually connected to what I'm doing would come my way. Not other things that would derail you from your genuine interest, right? Yeah. 
And then uh, I think because I was making an income somewhere else and able to self-support myself, A, and also I would often get projects from overseas mostly, uh, sometimes from the Goethe Institute, um, all of them socially engaged things or things inside of museums. Uh, I would then have that support structure. So I'm not in the market of I'm making this, where can I sell it? Um, and then I also, because I wanted to support myself as well, another way of supporting yourself, another advice for young guys is you go for residencies. Well, in the beginning I was getting accepted into residencies that wouldn't pay me, but would cover my costs. So my flight, my accommodation and the small money to go here and there or to eat. So I wouldn't have money in the pocket. Yeah. Which is a, if you don't have children and you don't have responsibilities, great. Right? For me, it was a bit tough because I had, I have responsibilities. So I had bills to pay, school fees to pay, uniform to buy. It, so it was like, ah, this, this system is not so, it's not helping me enough. You know, I'd go and, and, and take my coffee and my thermos from Kenya and have that over there. Instead of going to a coffee shop, yeah, or yeah. buy my, you know, the hundred shilling ramen noodle pack of five, it's in my suitcase because I didn't want to. The small money they gave me, I would put in the pocket, I'll not spend it, not buy the sandwich, go home, eat the ramen noodles, very boring. But then I'd come home with some because that I don't know when they give you twenty pounds over there, you spend twenty pounds like that. Or when you come back and you have twenty pounds, that's a different economy, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, then slowly over time, I also would apply to grants and so I started getting those grants. And then obviously the higher your CV gets, the more you can get into bigger established, um, institutions or projects that have better funding, better support, better output or different one could say. Right. Yeah. So, um, nowadays I'm going to residencies that are actually paying me to be there, which is new, totally new uh, playing field. And then the other thing I was very aware of and keen of was I would go to some residencies, they, you know, they invite you and they say, oh, we want to show or product at the end of it, which is fair enough. They can ask for that. But uh, I don't think it, for me personally, my practice doesn't work that way. I take a long time to conceptualize, a long time to research, a long time to figure out what to make and how to make it. And uh, also sometimes when you're in a residency where there's a pressure of an exhibition, you then, you're not being honest because you have the pressure. So you're just making to be able to say, okay, here you go, everybody's happy, finish, yeah. right? Yeah. So I also became very conscious of that and started applying for residencies to places that do not want a product. So you get very honest with what you're, why you're there and what you're doing. The same kind of honesty I had when I was working part-time and making work. Um, and I think because of that, my suspicion is that people who are interested in what I'm doing, curators, museums, writers, other artists, they're interested because it's a genuine interest in the subjects that they're working with and they want to find new ways of talking about issues. As we conclude, mm -hmm. I, want, I want to ask you, apart from 
being an artist yeah. what else do you do <laughs> only that <laughs> yeah, only that um yeah okay so yeah yeah i anything i do is has to somehow link into art okay so education is still important for me yeah. i still spend time with education mm. um Yeah, even if I'm writing it's an art. It's to do with art. Yeah. Um Untethered Magic, which is the space that you're in right now, which I run with Kibe and Kiberu who you met, uh is a space for artists to access to create where or even think or just have time out or to make a mistake. So it's not about being an institution. Yeah. Uh it's very much about being a sanctuary. Uh it's also we've had uh two artists come and live here and work here and but without a format or pressure for what they should be making or doing basically it's so it is a sanctuary anybody who's in crisis ends up over here we don't advertise we don't uh yeah i don't know it's just been working that way we've hosted a residency an international residency with um widely international so guys from China, Cuba, Russia, uh Italy, uh South Africa, uh UG, uh Burundi, uh and Kenya and America, North America and also Brazil. So very wide uh residency of 34 people uh to do with the topic of uh, archives. Um and I think we're really trying to create a space for people to come together, collaborate, talk, think, research, exchange, um but really not focused on production. Yeah. Obviously, for me when I do these kinds of residencies, I end up producing stuff two or three years later. And often I have a uh, very long-term relationships. So, a lot of these residencies that I've been to, I'm still in touch with the people who work there. Um same with museums not all of them but like now the museum i showed in 2019 at mark museum in hamburg i'm still in touch with the director there i'm still in touch with the curator who's left that museum and gone to another museum so also another advice for young people is it's about relationships and networks and that takes its uh, effort and time uh, and if you're not being genuine you can't sustain those kinds of relationships Uh, one of the things we want to do is also run um an Airbnb type thing or a place for uh people from Nairobi to get away and and come to another environment. Uh that's cheaper than the hotels in our neighborhood. Also there's a very big discrepancy be- between like I mean we can never go on vacation because it's always too expensive everywhere. There's nothing for us. There's always like 15k, 10k, who has that per night? Uh, <laughs> So we're like doing, you know, 2 to 3k a night uh for someone in the city who's just wants to explore something different. They can come, they can be here and that funnels this running of the space. So we get off the grid. Yeah. Uh solar power is that one of the things we really want to do. Very much about being autonomous. Uh I did a course on permaculture, which is pretty much indigenous farming. And one of the things we also want to do is is farm and get our own produce. We started the wrong way because uh our water bill went too high. 
we miscalculated the amount of water yeah. and the amount of money. Yeah. So we need to get a system of collecting. You know, we have so many roofs here. We can actually collect uh, enough water and find ways of self-sustaining. That's off the grid. Yeah. Um, and that way we can also support other people. We can support ourselves, but we can support other people without compromise. Um, but again, like I said, everything that I'm doing that's not to do with art ends up feeding art or has somehow, yeah, feeding art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, but if you are not an artist, mm-hmm. who else would you be? An artist. There's nothing else I would die. <laughs> no, there's another option. There's no. another option. No, if yeah. I was not an artist, maybe a cooking or a radio <laughs> presenter. But those two are also creative things. Yeah, yeah. But cooking for me is uh, stress-free. Yeah. So art, when I was young, used to be nice, so stress-free. Yeah. I miss those days. Yeah. And uh, now it's not, right? Now that every move you make, somebody's watching, it's calculated, and I have to think, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, whereas cooking, for yeah. me, is still fun. So I can be very creative, and uh, it can be very aesthetic and pleasing. Everybody gets fed, and it's for, that's my art-making without the stress. Yeah. So if I couldn't be an artist, which I highly, like, I don't see that ever happening, is maybe cooking or uh, radio presenting, which yeah. are still in the creatives. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your time. We <laughs> appreciate you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much.